our last week in Advent asking the question, how does knowing the one who calls himself I am changes us? We've been looking at, I am the light of the world, uh, I am the bread of life, and then this week it's a two for one. In one passage, Jesus says, I am twice. He says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. But do not worry, I will not preach a double sermon today. Uh, We're always asking the question, what is going to lead me to be more fully alive? What is going to lead me to more life, like a more fruitful life and a more fun life and a more fulfilled life? And it always feels a little bit elusive, if we're honest. We always feel like there's something more. Uh, And so we keep attaching ourselves to things, saying, I will follow you if you give me more life. And we make uh, our career everything. If I could just find this fulfilling career, it will bring me to life. If I can just find that person... I'll be fulfilled in my life. And what Jesus looks at us today and says from this passage is that I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Let me lead you to life. Let me lead you to life. This past week, I had lunch on Monday with Chad and Ellie downtown. They're, uh, they're out in, I think, Arizona or New Mexico this week. Um, but I had lunch with them downtown and we were having a great conversation Monday afternoon. And these two ladies came and, and sat at a table next to us. And they were both wearing New England Patriot jerseys. The, yeah, exactly. I love you guys. And, and that night, you know, the Dolphins were hosting the New England Patriots. And I like to tease people. So as we're talking, I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind, I just want to kind of yell something playfully, a little playful challenge at these ladies, something like, go back to Boston. We don't want you here, you know. That's what's going through my mind. And then, I, and then I started to think about it, and I go, you know, I don't think Chad will care, but I think that would really embarrass Ellie. Like, I think she would, she would turn bright red. And, um, and then secondly, I started thinking more. I was like, these ladies are from Boston. And if they're from, like, South Boston, and I issue this challenge, they might, like, get up and come over here and beat me and Chad and Ellie all up and just leave us here. And I was like, maybe it's not a good idea. But then lastly, I thought, you know what? New England Patriots, Tom Brady, they're one of the better teams in the league and the Dolphins are not. And so if I issue this challenge to these ladies and then the Patriots come into our house and they do their job, they're going to crush us and the challenge is just kind of mute, you know? It makes me look stupid. Uh, In our passage, Jesus is issuing a challenge because someone is not doing their job. They're not going to get it done. He's talking with the Pharisees, the leaders of God's people, and he challenges them with a story about shepherds and sheep saying, you guys are not doing the job. In verses 1 through 6 in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice and they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus, be with us today as we expound your word. Uh, Jesus tells this story about sheep and a pen and a shepherd and a gatekeeper and thieves. And if you know a little bit about ancient sheep keeping, what would happen is the shepherd would have a pen for his sheep. And there was one way in and one way out. And anyone who didn't come in the proper appointed way through the gate, 
should not be there. They're only looking for trouble if they're trying to get in the sheep's pen and they don't come through the gate. And the shepherd would often hire someone to stand in the way of the gate. Often that person might sleep there. And the shepherd was the only one who was permitted to come in and out of the gate. But thieves would come in and they could do things to the sheep or take the sheep, uh, but they weren't supposed to be there. The shepherd could come to his sheep and he had a special relationship with his sheep. He, he knew them, he knew which sheep were his because he spent so much time with them. He could call for them and they would know it was his voice and they would follow him. He would lead them out of the pen. And Jesus is telling this elaborate story. He's issuing a challenge, but the Pharisees don't get it. They don't get it because there's a backstory and they're not making the connection. God's people had always been called his sheep and God had appointed people, leaders, to shepherd those sheep. And in Ezekiel 34, there's this passage about how bad the shepherds were. There was bad shepherding going on. The shepherds and the leaders of God's people were not leading them towards life. Rather, they were selfishly trying to take life from the sheep. They were, they were, they were trying to use the sheep for their own advantage and God was done with it. God was done with it. And he says, there's going to be no more bad shepherding. Instead, I myself will shepherd these sheep because you jokers aren't. And I will appoint someone, my servant David, to be the shepherd king of these people. In Ezekiel 34, he says, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. You are my flock, the human flock of my pasture, and I am your God. God, in the, in, through the prophet Ezekiel, is saying that bad shepherding is over, but one, one like David, one like the shepherd King David, is coming, and he will be a good shepherd because he will lead the people of God to life. And when Jesus issues this little story, this little parable, they don't get what he's saying, but he's issuing them a challenge saying, you are in the line of these bad shepherds, but there's a good shepherd coming. A good shepherd who will lead the people of God to life. Now, a couple things before we progress through this text. One is that you have to understand that you're a sheep, okay? And that's not flattering. It's not flattering. Sheep are not very smart animals. They tend to be a little bit smelly and they need a lot of help. They, they didn't really know where to go. Often they would, they would uh, get something called downcast, which is when they would get flipped over. Maybe they had water in their fur from the rain and they would flip over and they were not able to get up on their own. They would need the shepherd to pick them up. But we are sheep. The Bible refers to us over and over as sheep. We often go our own way thinking that we're right. We're often not very smart about the ways of God. We often need a lot of attention from God just to make it through the day. We are like sheep. But then secondly, there are false shepherds out there. There are false shepherds of the people of God who will promise you life. And these people will look godly and they'll actually take life. They'll say, follow them, but they will not lead you towards the ways of God. They will not lead you towards fruitful living for God. They will take life from you. But there's one coming who will lead you to life, who will lead you to belonging to God's flock, because he says, I am the gate 
to enter through. In verse 7 through 10 of our passage, Jesus says to them again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they might have life and have it in abundance. Jesus calls himself the gate. And what he means by the gate is when shepherds would sleep in the doorway so that anything that wanted to get into the sheep pen had to go through the gate, the person laying there. And anything that wanted to go out of the sheep pen had to go through the gate, the person laying there. And Jesus is saying, I am the gate. I am the way that you enter into God's flock. I am the way that you enter into God's family. There's only one way in and there's only one way out and it's through me. And Jesus says, I have come not to take life from my sheep, but to give them and lead them into abundant life. Now, if you're a sheep, that sounds pretty good because you know you cannot find abundant life on your own. Jesus saying that through me, you become part of God's family. You're no longer separated from God. You're no longer in, in tension with God because through Jesus and faith in him, you become part of his family and he leads you into life abundant. This language that he says, where he says, come in and go out and find pasture. That is language that was used towards the children of Israel when they were being led into the promised land. And the idea was that once you're in the promised land, if you come in or you go out, you will find life. And so Jesus is saying that he is going to lead people to life. And through him, people will find abundant life. They'll find the blessings of freedom the blessings of provision, the blessings of purpose as being part of the people of God. Through Jesus, the gate, you can find life abundant. Have you passed through that gate? Have you passed through that gate? Jesus is the way into God's abundant life. And scripture tells us that the way that we pass through the gate is through repentance and faith. Repentance is turning away from yourself and turning towards Jesus. It's saying that everything that's outside this sheep pen, all my own desires and all the own ways that I have chosen have actually separated me from God. But by turning away from those and turning towards Jesus, the gate, I can find new life in him and restored relationship with God. And once you pass through the gate, you're part of the flock. You're fully forgiven. You find the freedom of being a child of God. You find life abundant. Now that term life abundant is often misused in our culture. What happens is people say we want abundant life and then they imagine whatever they want that to be whether it's like having a lot of money or having a lot of power or having a lot of prestige and they say well that's what God's going to give us and some people have those things they have money and power and prestige and so they say you can have that too come have the life abundant but that's not at all what Jesus means when he uses that phrase abundant life. You know, passing through the gate is not a transmogifier. A transmogifier is something that completely changes who you are. When you pass through the gate, you're still a sheep, right? When you get on the inside of that pen, you're still a sheep. You still need a lot of care. You still don't have a lot of power. You still don't make great decisions at times. 
But abundant life comes to those who pass through the gate, and that, that abundant life comes through a restored relationship with God. It's not power and prestige and money. It's meant for those who truly turn to God through Christ. The good news is, is once you pass through the gate, your past no longer defines you. God defines you and his love for you. You're his sheep. He cares about you. That's abundant life. Once you enter into the pen, you belong and he provides for you and gives you purpose as part of his people. You become part of God's blended family. You're not alone anymore. You have someone that's committed to care for you no matter what problems you face in your life, no matter what stupid things you do as a, as a sheep, God has committed himself to you. And that is part of the life abundant. So again, I ask you, have, have you come to Jesus the gate? There's no other way into God's family. There's no other way into God's care, but coming to Jesus in repentance and faith. He is the true shepherd of the sheep. In verse 11 and 14, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus changes the analogy a little bit. He goes from being the gate to the shepherd of the sheep and not just any shepherd, but the good shepherd. Now, when we think of the word shepherd, especially if you've been trained in the Bible a little bit, you tend to think of someone who's like cuddling with sheep and just sort of carrying them around. And that image isn't wrong, but it's incomplete. Because in the ancient Near East, the term shepherd also meant king. In fact, it meant king who related to the people. It was a good king, one who had power and authority, but cared about the people. He was a ruler who related and a king who cared. And what Jesus is saying is, I am that shepherd king, and I intimately know my sheep. I know my own, and my own know me. I know my own, and my own know me. See, Jesus knows your sin, but you know through him you're forgiven. Jesus knows your weakness, but through him you know his strength. Jesus knows that you walk through day-to-day -day often feeling defeated and discouraged, but you know Jesus who is victorious. He knows you, and you know him, the shepherd king, and he calls you by name. He calls you to, to himself to follow him and to believe in the good news. Oftentimes, we want our we want some sort of calling in our life. We're longing for our name to be called, maybe to be called up into some new position at your job, and that would be amazing. Or to called out, you're afraid of being called out. You have a shameful past, and you don't want anyone to find out. Or you just really want to be called. You're lonely. Someone call me. I, I really want to connect with someone. And all those things are real. But the most important call you'll ever receive is Jesus calling you to follow him. Okay, everything else is secondary. It's the most important call when he looks at you and says, Bill, follow me, Philip, follow me, Linda, follow me, and you follow. He knows you, he loves you, and you hear his voice. Oftentimes, shepherds, the sheep of shepherds would get all mixed up together. They would put them in the same pen or they'd put them in the same pasture and just the innocent bystander would look and go, I don't have no idea how to tell whose sheep is who. 
Well, that didn't matter because the shepherds had a specific voice they would project. It, it sounded a certain way. And when the shepherd called his sheep, his sheep would leave the rest of the sheep and come to him. And if you have responded to that call, follow me. If you believe in the gospel, you are part of his family. You've heard his voice. You're moving towards Jesus. He has called you. Something significant and spiritual has happened when Jesus projects his voice to you and says, come, follow me. You're in this intimate relationship with the good shepherd. And what's amazing about him is it says that it go, he goes ahead of the sheep and he leads them to life. Now, what I love about the language is it could have, he could have said that the shepherd stands behind them and drives his sheep where he wants them to go, but it doesn't say that. Jesus says that the good shepherd stands in front of his sheep, calls them to himself, and then he steps out and leads them where he wants them to go. You see, too often we have this picture of Jesus as if he's behind us, sort of driving us where he wants us to go. And that, that's not following Jesus, that's called religion. And it's full of guilt and shame and fear and never measuring up. But Jesus is out in front of us calling to us to follow him. Greg Matt says this, many people feel more driven by religion than led by God. They feel like God is behind them calling for more instead of in front leading them to more. Let me read that again. They feel like God is behind them calling for more instead of in front of them leading to more. If you live feeling driven long enough, you will not be able to tell the difference between your guilt and the Lord's call on your life. See, following Jesus is in a constant guilt trip where he's behind you, shoving you and pushing you. He's out in front of you, calling you. I know you by name. Come follow me. I will lead you to green pastures. I will lead you through the valley of shadow of death. I will lead you to life. So don't let religion get confused with following Jesus. If you feel driven in your life, if you feel like you constantly never can quite get ahead, it might be the shame of your past. It might be this desire to prove yourself or it might be fear, but that's not the same thing as following Jesus. Jesus leads you to life. Don't let those things from your past drive you because if you entered into the, in through the gate, your shame and your past and your fears do not define you anymore. Jesus, the good shepherd, defines you. The good shepherd leads his sheep to life by laying down his own life. In verse 11 through 13, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. In ancient Jewish writings, there were rules about what a hired hand was to do if wolves attacked the sheep. If he had been given charge of the sheep by the shepherd and one wolf came, he was required to stay and fight off the wolf. But if two wolves came, he was no longer required and obligated to protect the sheep. They weren't his sheep. And I mean, he wasn't about to give up his life to protect another man's sheep. 
And so the hired hand would run away and was permitted to by law. But what Jesus is trying to emphasize here is that he sticks with you, his sheep, no matter what it costs and no matter what he loses. No matter what it costs and no matter what he loses. And let me encourage you and let me challenge you because so many times life gets hard and you start to ask the question, why should I stick with Jesus? My life is not going the way I want it to. What does he offer me? Why should I stick with him? Have you ever wondered the opposite? Why should Jesus stick with you? Why, what does he offer, what do you offer him? And yet the amazing thing about Jesus, you have nothing to offer him. There's no reason that he should stick with you, and yet he does. He has committed himself to stick by you and to walk with you and never to leave you or forsake you, even though you do not offer him anything. He cares about you. He cares about you, and he's committed to you. Enough so that he's willing to lay down his life for you. In verse 14 through 17, he says this again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Jesus is saying that he lays down his life for the sheep as an expression of God the Father's love. He lays down his life to bring people from every tribe and language and people and nation into the flock of God. So you know what that means? There's still more room in the sheep pen. There's still more room in the sheep pen for more sheep. There's still more room for people who have gone their own way and they've gone astray. We know the way to get into God's family through Jesus, the gate. Jesus lays down his life in order to make a blended family from every tribe and language and people and nation in order to make this diverse flock of God. And he does this through releasing his life as a gift to you, as a gift to you. The last verse and our passage, verse 18, says, No one takes it, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. In 2009, a woman named Shirley Digert, who was turning 54, decided to go skydiving for her birthday. She was the grandmother of three, and she went to go skydiving, and she got paired with this man named Dave Hartsock. They were going to do a tandem jump. And so she signed all the paperwork and got on the plane, and the plane ascended to 13,000 feet. And, and with Dave strapped to her back, they tumbled out of the plane and into the air. And it was exhilarating. I mean, this 54-year-old woman had never experienced anything like this, and she was having a blast until Dave pulled the parachute cord. And the parachute cord yanked, the parachute opened, but it did not open properly. And all of a sudden, this tangled cord and tangled parachute made them descend and spiral down. Well, Dave had the training. He kept his cool, and he pulled the second chute. 
But because the second chute opened near where the first chute did, that was all tangled, the second chute did not open. And Shirley thought to herself, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. Dave yelled into her ear, lift up your feet. And Shirley didn't understand why Dave said that and didn't know what was going on, but Shirley, with Dave attached to her back, lifted up her feet. And as Shirley lifted up her feet, Dave repositioned himself and transitioned so that he was laying underneath her. And she realized that they were going to make impact with Dave first and her being held by Dave. Like a shepherd with his sheep, Dave held on to Shirley as they descended at close to 40 miles an hour to the ground. The parachute had slowed them down, but they were still going to make a massive impact on the ground. Dave held on to her and at impact, uh, they both were really injured, but they lived. Shirley had a broken neck and broken ribs and broken organs and was rushed to the hospital. But Dave, though he lived, he was crucially injured. Shirley made almost a full recovery, but Dave ended up being paralyzed except for one arm. He was not able to move and he's spending the rest of his life in a wheelchair. But what Dave said is quite amazing. Someone said, Dave, you're a hero. And he said, no, it was the right thing to do because I took responsibility for her safety. Hurtling to the ground, Dave realized that he had committed himself to this woman. And he laid down his life for her so that Shirley might find life. Shirley is living her life she keeps in touch with Dave, and every day I bet she thinks that man made a decision. He didn't have to, but he made a decision to lay down his life so that I might have life. Friends, that's what Jesus does for you. He takes the impact of God's wrath when he goes to the cross, something that you deserve, but he lays down his life freely as a gift for you. You can't force him to do it, but he made the decision to do it because he loves you and he wants to be your shepherd. He releases his life in order that you might have life. You know, as we finish out this series, I hope that you're changed as you know the great I am. I hope that you understand how much he loves you and how much he cares about you and that every day during this Advent season, you can wake up and go, I know I'm loved because someone laid down their life for me, that I might be restored, that I might be brought into the flock of God. I know the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have died in our place and that was why you came. You came to gift yourself to us. We thank you, Lord. We couldn't convince you. There wasn't anything that we could say. We couldn't negotiate or, or bring up a great argument. And yet you just said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the impact of sin on myself. And so even as we celebrate you coming into this world, might we remember it was to, to lay down your life for us. Thank you so much, Jesus. We love you. And we pray that we might find new life as we follow you every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now? And we're going to sing, He has come for us.